Welcome. This is Laura Lameri, and now you are tuned in to Conquer Real Estate Investing. I'm going to share with you the real deal as it comes to real estate investing, so listen in. Today, I will address a specific topic and answer your real estate investing burning questions. Be sure to email in your questions to be answered and featured in a future episode to questions at lauraalamary.com. Again, there's questions at lauraalamary.com. Let's get started. Hello, welcome everybody. This is Laura Lamary, and today I have a special guest, David Dubois, and uh, he is specializes in uh, uh, raising private money. So this is a hot topic in the real estate investing industry. So hello, David. Laura, how are you doing today? Great, great. So thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. So we're gonna go ahead and get started here. Get in the middle of it all. Um, tell me a little bit about you, you know, how you got started in real estate and, uh, you know, a little bit of your life story here as it comes to real estate and what you're doing nowadays. All right. Well, perfect. So uh, how I got started in real estate, long story, but, but bottom line, I kind of grew up around real estate, Laura, believe it or not, my, my uh, home as a kid was a unit in a sixplex that my grandfather and my father built. And then my mother was also, my my parents ended up getting divorced. My mother became a a fairly successful real estate entrepreneur way back in the 1970s and 80s when I was a kid. She built up a portfolio of about 50 uh, rental units while she was a single mom and working full-time. And before there were smart people like you doing podcasts and training and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of was was around it. My very first kick of the can was uh, actually when I was 12, believe it or not. My mother and my old, much older brother were building a duplex. And I was I was about 12 and I was seeing what was going on. I said, hey, I want to be part of this. And they said, do you have any money? And somehow I'd saved up $200 and said, yeah, I got $200. They said, okay, give us your money. You can be an investor. And guess what you own? I said, what? You own the garbage stoop, the place where they put the garbage cans. <laughs> That was, so anyhow, that was kind of my first little foray into it, but I didn't really get serious about it until much later. Uh, After university, I ended up traveling around Mexico and Central America for a couple of years. I settled down in Costa Rica, of all places, Uh, started a business down there, Uh, got married to a Costa Rican, had a couple of kids, Uh, created a pretty successful language training company, and uh, really got passionate about marketing. So that is kind of a long story, but one of the guys that my marketing guru was always pointing to as a very sharp marketer, a couple of them were actually real estate guys. Um, So back in, in 2003, my then wife and myself decided we wanted to move to Canada and have a better, safer place for our kids to grow up. So Costa Rica was great. We had a great lifestyle, you know, uh, with a a good solid middle-class life down there, income you can have live-in maids and gardeners and gated communities and all that kind of stuff. But being a pasty-faced white guy like I am, (laughs) whether you've got a lot of money or not, people think you do. So there's kind of a target on your back and your family's back as well. So there's a risk of you or your loved ones getting kidnapped and held for ransom. doesn't happen very often, 
but I do know two people it happened to. So it uh, doesn't happen at all where I live now. So uh, we decided to move back to Canada, but I had to start all over again from scratch. I'd been away from the country for almost 14 years at that point. I had no credit. I hadn't been able to sell my business in Costa Rica, so didn't have a heck of a lot of money. We had to move into a crappy little rental on the on the wrong side of the track, so to speak, in the, in the new city that we moved into. I didn't have any any contacts here. So I was trying to think, what can I do? And then I saw one of those late night infomercials. Remember those? Yeah. In real estate. That's how I got started. Yep. (laughs) Little or no money down. You too can do it. I said, perfect. Because that's exactly what I've got. Little or no money. (laughs) Away from the course and uh, got it and and went through the whole thing and and applied that. And and my first little kind of claim to fame was I was able to do 18 deals in 18 months at a fairly small Wow. We have about, uh, at that time, about 80,000 people in the area. And that was all by applying marketing and what I learned about real estate. So that's how I got started. Great. And, uh, you know, and why real estate? Why did you, I know there was a late night infomercial, but you already had an exposure to it growing up. So was it something that you came back to it? Did you say, you know, that's a business I should probably uh, revisit. Why real estate? Well, initially it was, it was the profit potential. So Laura, you're super familiar with this and depending on, on what style of real estate investing you're doing, there's anywhere between one or two up to eight different ways to actually profit from a real estate deal, depending on how you count them, right? And what you're doing. So uh, compared to pretty much anything else out there, there's a lot more opportunity. And I kind of figured, you know what, short of winning the lottery, which isn't going to happen for me because I never buy tickets. I don't believe in that. <laughs> you have to kind of create your own, your, your own financial security, your own financial freedom. And I thought, just looking around, I thought real estate was the best vehicle to do that with. I Definitely. That's what I tell people. It doesn't really matter. You know, you can be like you said, you know, coming from another country, having no money, starting from zero. That's pretty much the way I was. You know, I came from another country, was really young and had no money. And I was like, oh, wow, real estate sounds good. And uh, it was one of those things. I started reading books and going late night infomercial. And, but the thing, I think the difference that makes you and I a little different than a lot of people out there is that we took action right? Yeah. It's not just a matter of getting information. We actually went out there that always say it's better to take imperfect action than no action at all. So even if we didn't have all the skill set, even if we didn't know everything, even if we didn't have the money, we went out there and made it happen. And you bought 18 properties in uh, 18 months. I bought 16 properties when I started in 18 months. So it's possible to really do this. You know, that's what I tell people. Great. So what are you doing nowadays? What is your role in real estate and also teaching people about real estate? Yeah, well, good question, Laura. So I went, that's how I started. I did those 18 deals in 18 months and I was trying a few different things at the same time. And, and basically I ended up catching the eye of an up and coming real estate guru uh, here in Canada. And he was putting on seminars and offering investment opportunities for folks. And I, he heard about my, we, we got to know each other. He heard about my background in marketing. So eventually I became the director of marketing for his group of companies and helped him start from, you know, him and two employees working out of his basement to, uh, by the time I stopped working with him, it was uh, 128 employees, seven branch offices across the, the country and about $200 million a year 
in revenue. So that took up a good chunk of my time for about five years. And then I got, so I took a hiatus from active real estate investing. Then I got back into it and started doing uh, tenant first rent to own deals. And I'm sure you're probably pretty, that's mm -hmm. different, client first, tenant first. Bottom line, you find a really good prospective tenant buyer. You go out, you buy them a house and you rent to own the, the property to them for the next two to four years while you help them get qualified for financing. And then you sell it to them for profit, obviously. So that's what I was doing. And I self-financed my first couple of deals. Then I ran, like everybody, I ran out of cash, ran out of credit. And that's when I, I really hit the crunch. And I heard, you know, I'd always heard, find a good deal and the money will find you. Have you ever heard that, Laura? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it sounds really good, right? It sounds really good. That's, that's one of those catchphrases that, that just sounds awesome. But I think it's complete baloney myself. <laughs> now, obviously, you have to do something. So at that time... I remember it. I remember it vividly. This is probably my biggest mistake in real estate investing. I remember I had the perfect tenant buyers come in. Uh, I was strapped for cash. I didn't have any more. I, I, I couldn't come up with any more down payment money myself. But we we went ahead, found them a house, got it under contract, got all this. Everybody's excited. Everything was going along well. But I needed to raise about eighty five thousand for this deal. So I was thinking, oh, well, I've got a good deal. And it's going to be really good return for my investor partners, but I have to do something to get the word out, right? So I'd heard, you know what, if you got a good deal, pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars. Have you ever heard that one, Laura? Yeah. Dial for dollars. Cold call people. And I really didn't like that idea, but you know what? I was desperate, so I did it. I picked up the phone, called, rejected, called, rejected, called, hung up on, called, rejected. And my poor little ego is too fragile to handle very much of that, Laura. So I, I have to admit, I didn't do a lot of it because it was just so painful. So I said, okay, there's got to be something else I can do. And I also remember hearing, you know what? Turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. Go out there and network, schmooze, use your 30-second commercial, your elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it, and raise money that way. Have you, have you heard of that as well? Yeah, elevator speech, yeah. Yeah, so I, I said, okay, I'll try that. So I got my pocket full of business cards and went out to the Chamber of Commerce and the local B&I groups and Toastmasters, whatever I, wherever I could get in there and talk with people. That's what I did. And uh, guess what? Uh, guess how much capital I raised that way? Zero. Absolutely nothing. Raised nothing. So by this time, I'm getting really desperate and running out of time. I had to get an extension on the subject removals on this deal. And then I came up with what I thought was a brilliant idea. I said, well, this, this deal's so good, it's going to sell itself if people just take a look at it. So I put together an email, and I sent that out to a couple of hundred people that I knew. And I was excited because this was the first thing I did that I started getting some responses to. And I was excited, Laura, until I started reading those responses. And basically, it was people reaching back to me and saying, hey, Dave, you know, I haven't heard from you in five years, or in some cases, 10 years, in some cases, 15 years. I haven't heard from you in a long time. And here you are hitting me up for cash for a deal. Take a hike. <laughs> uh, so bottom line, Laura, I, I ended up having to collapse that deal. I couldn't close on that deal. Um, I, I obviously ticked off my tenant buyer big time. They'd already given notice where they were renting. So they had to scramble to try and, you know, 
find a get stay in the place they were still renting. Obviously, I had to give them all of their money back. I was out a couple of grand for property inspections and expenses. Ticked off the seller, ticked off the realtor, ticked off the mortgage broker, and I'm in a small, fairly small area. So I got major egg on my face, and I said, you know what? I never, ever, ever want to be in this position where I'm desperately chasing after the money again. And then that's when I, that's when I really decided to dial things in. I took a lot of coaching and training and mentoring and books and courses and stuff about raising capital, but I found most of it just kind of rehashed the same thing. It was all about, Hey, you know, get better at dialing for dollars. I said, I don't want to get better at dialing for dollars. Dialing for dollars sucks. I don't want to get good at that or get better at, you know, sales techniques, get better at presentation techniques, get better at networking and schmoozing and doing your, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I said, Dave, you dummy, if there's one thing you're pretty good at, it's marketing. Why don't you apply marketing and attract investors to you instead of you needily and, and desperately chasing after them? So that's, that's what I did. And it's worked really, really well for myself. Since then, I've raised millions and millions of dollars for, well, back when I was doing rent-to-own deals, I, I raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for those deals. Since then, I've started moving into multifamily properties and I've raised millions of dollars for multifamily properties. And, and more importantly, I've helped other people cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals following the same process. Great. Yeah, no, I like the fact that you said, you know, you took a concept and made it work for you. That's one of the things I always tell people, you know, you can, there's so many ways to go about with real estate investing. And you don't have to do something you're not comfortable with. If you're not the type of person who can't knock on doors or pick up the phone and stuff like that, don't do it. You know, it's, you don't have to do it that way. It might work for some people, but not for others. And if you're not comfortable with that, yeah, you can, you know, psych yourself out to maybe do it because you have to, but you really don't. There's so many ways to do this. Now, share with me then, um, with all the experience you had, I always say that, you know, to be out there and teaching people, you know, like what you do and I do as, as being a coaches, you have to have gone through the good and the bad, right, in experience. You know, you have to go to hell and back before you can teach other people yeah. uh, what to do. So, what mistakes, what downfalls would you say if you knew now you would have done something different when you were starting out? Well, here's, yeah, big one, Laura. So when I first got started in real estate investing, those 18 deals in 18 months, that sounds impressive, right? But those were, those were the, the creative type deals that was in and out quickly. They, they weren't flips in the sense of uh, fixing properties up and putting a lot of money into them and, and doing that sort of thing. But they were low value, low, low value transaction type deals. I mean, yeah, anywhere from, you know, a profit of, of two grand for basically wholesaling a deal all the way up to, I think, thirty-five dollars or $40,000 for, for doing an option on a property. Uh, so kind of in that range. So they, were, so they, they were okay. I mean, it was keeping the lights on. But here's the big mistake. Uh, I think looking back at things 2020 is I didn't keep any of them, Right. So they were all in and out type deals. And if I had held on to even three or four or five of those initial 18 deals, you know, now almost whatever it is, uh, 17, 15 to 17 years later, uh, that would be phenomenal. There, there'd be, you know, millions of dollars in equity right there. But I was 
I was just looking at everything very, very transactionally back in the day. So uh, even even with rent own deal, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a very active kind of a business. You're in and you're out. Now it's, it's basically a slow motion flip, right? You're It's a two to three year flip instead of a six month flip. Chances are you're going to make more money with it, but compared to holding on to that property long-term, 10, 15, 20 years, you're missing out on lots and lots of the, the different profit centers in real estate investing. So there's nothing wrong with those strategies. I just think you need to combine them with more long-term buy and hold. So these days, that's more of my focus is on long-term buy and hold. Right. Yeah. That's a very good thing, you know, to really get to the point where you diversify and build more of a residual income. Now, what are you most proud of, of what you have achieved so far? Uh, what am I, I think, you know, what I'm most proud of is, is just how it sounds corny. And I know you interview a lot of people that are coaches and trainers and mentors and stuff like that. I'm really not a coach or a mentor. I'm a, a really, I'm a marketing guy who's in real estate as well. So my background's really in marketing and my, my company results enterprises. We actually, it's like a marketing agency. So I don't really coach or mentor and stuff like that. But when I see, my students and my clients get results. That is, that's what really inspires me. Of course, uh, I mean, love made, nobody doesn't love making money. That's, that's great. That's important as well. But when you see other people, the light bulb go off and they actually get some amazing results, that definitely inspires me. And another cool thing, Laura, I don't know, are you, are you willing to um, kind of ad lib with me here a little bit? Sure. Kind of go off script for a second. One thing I'm pretty proud of is the fact that as far as I know, I'm the first guy, the first person who has figured out what I call the lifetime worth of an investor partner, the lifetime worth of an investor. So you've probably, if you've been in business for yourself, you probably heard lifetime value of a customer. Have you heard mm-hmm. of that? Yeah. So way back when I had my language training company in Costa Rica, I figured that out for that business. And I was thrilled to see that the lifetime uh, value of a customer for me there was $12,000. That meant that on average, every new customer I brought on would create over the working lifetime, $12,000 in profits for myself and my company. Okay. So that's where I first learned about the concept. Fast forward, whatever it was, 15 years, and I'm into real estate investing and starting to raise capital. And for some reason that, that idea came back to me. I said, I wonder how much, an investor is worth to me over the lifetime of us working together. So if you'd like, I have spared no, no trouble and no expense putting together a little worksheet here for you. Would you like, would you like me to show you how I figured yeah. out, that out for myself? And then maybe if you're up for it, Laura, we can figure that out for you. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So the first thing we want to look at when we're looking at the lifetime worth is the average profit per deal. So that's, there we go. Average profit per deal. So with my rent to own business, we'll just use that as an example. I found on average, I would make profit to me $40,000 over a deal. Now it's not right up front. That's over the whole deal with all the different profit centers, right? Next thing we have to look at is how many investors on average do you need to do one deal? So for single family homes, that kind of thing, uh, I was looking at one investor per deal, okay? I only wanted to work with one investor, okay? And then the next one is, how many deals is that investor going to do with me over time? 
Now, Laura, I've talked with lots and lots of experienced real estate investors who've got lots of money partners on board. And they say, oh man, my, my partners do deals with me all the time. You know, probably seven or eight times would be how many deals they would do with me. And I say, well, I, I want to be conservative with this. So I'm going to say that probably they'll do two deals with me over time. It's probably higher than that, but probably the rock bottom minimum would be two deals. Okay. So that's where we're going there. Huh? So we got $40,000 profit per deal divided by one investor per deal divided by, uh, multiplied by two deals over time. And then we have to take into account referrals, right? Because if we good, do a good job of getting testimonials and getting warm referrals, that's a great way to grow our investor base. Would you agree? Yeah, anyway. definitely. Right. So again, I wanted to be conservative. So I thought, you know, probably I can get one or two referrals per investor partner I've got if I'm doing a good job for them, right? But let's be conservative. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I, I do a mediocre job of this. And I'm going to get one referred investor for every two investors I've got. So if I have two investors and I look for testimonials and referrals, I should be able to get one referral. Does that make sense? That turns into yep. an investor. Mm -hmm. okay. So this is as tough as the math works. So I mean, if it's one referral for every two investors, that means that a referral factor would be actually 1.5. That means one investor is really the equivalent of one and a half investors. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. Okay. So 1.5. So let's just kind of take a look at that. Hopefully everybody can see that. So average profit per deal, 40,000 divided by one investor per deal. Multiply, so that leaves us at 40,000. Multiply it by two deals. That takes us up to 80,000, right? Mm -hmm. Multiply it by one and a half. So 80,000 by one and a half means that the lifetime worth of an investor to me with that strategy, rent own in those days, was $120,000. Great. That's a great formula. I like that. Yeah, it's a very good formula. And if you want, we'll go through it for, for you for one of the strategies. I know you do a multiple of different things, but maybe we could look at that for, I know you've done a lot of flips. It doesn't really apply to wholesaling because you're not necessarily using other people's money for wholesaling, but maybe for, for flips or something like that. But here's the, here's the big thing, Laura. Here's the big thing. I looked at that, $120,000. And I thought back, my previous business, I was thrilled that the lifetime value of a client was $12,000. This is 10X the value. That is why real estate investing is so important. That's why you and I are doing real estate instead of selling hamburgers on a stand. <laughs> it, just, it just makes sense. And that's just one investor. Imagine getting three, four, five investors on board. And that's just that one strategy. Now that I'm doing different strategies, multifamily properties, the lifetime worth of an investor is actually much, much higher than that. It's going to be different for everybody and every different strategy. Uh, but that's a very powerful exercise to go through. And then here's the thing. Think about that, $120,000 in profit. Like this is after everything else has been paid out except for taxes, of course, but this is after everything else. How long does it take the average North American to save up $120,000 from their job? And the right. answer is they never do. They never do. They're never going to be able to do that, right? Uh, the average, I, I looked it up on, on Google, on Wikipedia, so it must be right. The average income <laughs> for, for Americans is right around uh, $39,000 a year, $39,000 a year. Compare that 
to your profit from just one investor, but this, in this example of $120,000, and that should be a mind blowing number for you. So do you want to kind of, do you want to, you know, ad lib here? Do you want to try and figure this out for one of your strategies, Laura? Cause I know you've done a lot of different things, but sure. I know you're doing flips for quite a while. So that's probably one that you've got the numbers pretty yeah. much. So would you yeah. like to get to this? Sure. And I want to add something to that, that, you know, when uh, you can do wholesaling, fix and flip, buy and hold. But when I added the private money factor back in 2001, my business exponentially grew overnight. And, you know, and when you're dealing with investors, like you say, you know, the average profit for an investor is $40,000, but then the same investor is going to invest with you over and over again. So, you know, as my investors were invested, like the same person invested with me with several deals over time. And so their money kept growing. And so they kept investing more. So it was, you create kind of the domino effect when you use this approach. And so, like when you say, uh, you know, with your formula that is really $120,000, that's without taking in consideration that over time, this investor might invest with you over and over again. And also- well, actually, It is, but, it, but it's, being, it's being very conservative. Right, I'm that's very conservative, do, yes. They're only gonna do two deals with me over time. Reality is they're probably gonna do four, five, six, seven deals with you over oh, time. Exactly. But I don't, wanna be, I don't wanna be unrealistic. I wanna, because if I show that to people, it's just, the number's too high for the average person to just get their head around. Right. So yeah, that's very powerful because it puts everything in perspective. And so what I always say to people, you know, if you don't add private money at some point, even if you're a wholesaler, just imagine if you have a blank checkbook where you, you can go to auctions and buy, you know, properties all the time, or go to the banks and buy all their REOs in bulk because you have that availability of having the money partners you know, it just opens up. I went from doing a couple of wholesale deals a month in 2001 to doing over 10 to 15 a month on yeah. top of doing over 20 fix and flips at a time just because I tapped into the money partner situation. So yeah, I'm a big believer in that. And I'm a believer that, yeah, you were very conservative because as you know, it's over time, it's probably 10 times the $120,000 figure per investor. Correct, yeah. Well, that's, so that, that's that, uh, that's that you guys. Um, we, we don't need to spend any more time on that. You get the gist of it. Yeah. It's very, 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 very powerful. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I will play around with the formula, but it could be scaring me to see <laughs> what is, what has been there. Like that... a good way, right? Scary. Right. Way. <laughs> yeah. But here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing, Laura. The reason I, I teach people this process is if you see what the lifetime worth of an investor is for you, then keep that number top of mind because you know what? Things aren't always going to be rosy and sunshine and, and, and rainbows and, and perfect all the time. There's, even, even if you're following any kind of process, there's ups and downs. There's going to be challenges. So when you hit one of those challenges, which you will, always keep that number top of mind, whatever that number is for you, because that'll help you push through. That'll help you keep everything in perspective, right? So if, right. If, if you have to do something that kind of takes you out of your comfort zone or you haven't done before, you're willing to do that because you see the big picture. You understand what's in this for you and your family. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. So this is what's an, an investor's worth to us, Laura. But what's the flip side? 
Like, let's let's say just for simplicity, let's say we're doing 50-50 profit splits with our investor partners. They put up all the money, we put up the work, we split profits 50-50. If they're worth 120,000 to us, how much are we worth to them? Right. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge, right? So it's a two-way street, you guys. So always keep that number in mind. Figure that number out for yourself. Um, if if you're interested in, in getting the the formula, you, I'll let you know how you can find out more about that later. Right. Yeah, because definitely, you know, this is a business that will come to me once I start getting the foot in the door with these money people, everything else is word of mouth. So once they start making money and they invest with you, like you say, what are the value to them? And when they say, hey, I'm making more money with her than I'm making in my stocks. I had one of my investors, he had actually went out and liquidated his stocks to invest yeah. with me because he said I was getting much better return. So definitely. With, okay, with, a, so, lot, with a lot less fluctuation. And, exactly. And yeah. Nights, yeah. And uh, so what do you wish that you knew in the beginning that, you know, that you, that you know now, what would you, something that you said, I wish I would have done things this way when it came to this particular strategies in uh, raising money. Oh, well, I wish I, <laughs> You know what? I actually, don't, I don't think that way too much, Laura. I mean, everything happens for a reason, I think. And I think I needed to go through that painful experience of losing that deal and going through that humiliation and getting the egg on my face to really give me the kick in the butt I needed to turn things around. So um, I don't regret any of that. Um, would it have been nice to know that earlier? Yes. Would it have been nice to know, you know, clue into holding on to some properties instead of getting rid of them so quickly all the time earlier. Yes. But again, it's all, all, all part of life, all part of the process. So no big regrets. Okay, good. Never regrets. I agree. Great. Well said. So what are the three tips, best tips that you would suggest for somebody who wants to start, especially with raising private money? Because this is to me, I, you know, I always talk about um, wholesale, fix and flip and buy and hold. And then the glue that puts everything together, that, that thing that's going to exponentially grow to the next level is being able to tap into private money because that's what they did for my business. So what are the best three tips you can give somebody looking into to really take their business to the next level with money? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I got way more than three tips, but I'll give you three tips here because again, <laughs> you guys <laughs> see this thing behind me is the money partner formula is five steps and all this good stuff. But if I had to boil it down to three tips, here's the first one. The first one is get laser focused on a target group of prospective investors. Get laser focused on a target group of prospective investors. And what I'm going to suggest for most people who are probably watching this or listening to this, would you would you say that most of them are kind of what I call mom and pop real estate investors? Yeah, like sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So other mom and pop real estate investors, here's where I would start. I would create, well, let me, I'm, I'm a visual kind of guy, Laura. You can tell that by my tar artistic abilities, right? So I'm <laughs> going to, I'm going to say we want to create a target group of prospective investors. And, and the magic number for mom and pop real estate investors, I'd say is if we get a target group of 200 and that's really what we focus on, then we're off to the races. And I firmly believe if, when you do it the way I'm going to show you, there's at least a million bucks and capital there. We just have to figure out how to access it. Okay. So who should we approach? Who should we have in that target group? A lot of people say, well, you know what? 
you know, everybody and anybody with a pulse and a checkbook, they'd be fine. Well, no, that's, that's not true because the general public, you know, they got to know you, like you, trust you to invest 50 to 100 grand with you. Would you agree? So if you're going out to strangers, you don't have any of that. Uh, you can go after accredited investors. But if you're a mom and pop real estate entrepreneur, unless you already know a bunch of them, again, you're starting from scratch and a lot of people are going after them. So what does that leave us? That leaves us our, what I call sphere of influence, people that we have that pre-existing relationship with. So friends, family members, co-workers, associates, people from your church, from your social groups, that sort of thing. You, you know them, they know you, you like them, they like you, that sort of thing. So that's who we focus on. That's the first tip. Create a list of a couple of hundred people that you already have a pre-existing relationship with. Does that mean all 200 are gonna, of them are going to invest with you? Heck no. But out of that 200, we can probably get three, four, five of them to invest with you. And that's really, for most people, all you need to really get things going and probably do all the deals you want to do in the next 12 to 18 months. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's the first thing. Have that target group. The second big tip I would have for people based on my own painful experience, remember I told you that I emailed everybody about my, I spammed everybody about my deal. And that really, that really shot me in the foot because I, I lost a lot of credibility with people by doing that because I was, I was like a bull in a china shop. So what you want to do with, once you've got your list, before you start talking business, reconnect with them on a personal level first and have a genuine reconnection, like on a person-to-person -person level. So the way we do this with our students and our clients is we show them how to do what I call a warm-up campaign. So it's, a, it's three different emails sent out over about a one-week time frame. And this is a great way to make those genuine reconnections before you start talking business. And then the third big tip is uh, it's all about constant, consistent communication. Because the big mistake I see people making, Laura, is they've got a deal they need money for it right now. So they run out and they take massive action and maybe they get lucky and they actually raise some money and then they stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go, 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 go. They got the deal on the go, then everything else stops and then they get another deal and it's they have to start everything up over again. Instead of doing that, I always recommend raise the capital first, then go find the deals. Raise the capital first, then go buy, find the deals and always be raising capital, always be doing the marketing, always stay top of mind with this list so they know that you're not flaky and that, that you're not a, play, uh, a flash in the pan. Does that make sense? So that's all about constant, consistent communication. In other words, marketing. So you should be, they should be hearing from you at, at rock bottom minimum at least once a month and ideally two to four times a month. Ideally, you know, once a week would be ideal. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, nurturing and uh, establishing. You know, people forget too often that real estate is a people's business. It's about really cultivating relationships. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you talk with a seller, when you have the seller, you know, things are, are going to be so much easier to deal with. The seller is going to be on board with everything you do if you have this relationship. People get straight to doing the deal, to get the contract out there and just skip the fact of not understanding what is a seller trying to do, what's going on, you know, what is the situation? What, and sometimes it's not money that they're looking to do. There's sometimes they're looking for some opportunity. Maybe they have to leave, they move, they have whatever issues they're going through. And the same thing with the money. When 
you establish a relationship. One of the things I started doing with my private lender from the beginning is, you know, establishing very transparency with them. You know, this is what we're going to be doing. This is how it works and set up uh, like monthly meetings to really explain to them, uh, you know, what is going on with their money, with their deals. And, uh, and that is a full transparency and establishing a relationship, I think has been crucial. So when 2007, 2008 happened, and I know a lot of people that had money out there with private lenders and hard money lenders went belly up. For me, it wasn't that at all because I had this conversation with my lender saying, hey, this is what's going on in the industry. What do you want to do? You know, I can liquidate. You're going to get maybe most of your money back, but you're probably going to lose some money or we can turn this into rentals and ride it until things come back. But having this conversation, having established this relationship before is what there was no drama. There was no, I'm going to sue you or this and that. There was nothing like that at all. And I think that's what I realized that really having a relationship and talking with people and nurturing them is so important and the money becomes come second. So definitely. The other big point there too, Laura, is a lot of us, you know, especially when it comes to raising money, it's all about, I need the money now. Right. Just because I need the money now doesn't mean your investor is ready to invest the money now. Right. So it's a lot of people say, okay, well, if you're not ready to invest with me now, I'm going to forget about you. No. Just because they don't want to invest with you right now or they can't invest with you right now doesn't mean they can't six months from now or they can't 12 months from now. So again, it's all about having that consistency. So you're always in front of them. So you're there when time and circumstances change for them and they are ready to invest. You're the person that comes first to mind when they get that mutual fund statement and they see how much money they're not making or how much money they're paying to their, their mutual fund salesperson, right? Right financial planner, right? Then, then, it, then maybe you come to mind or they see what the heck happened with their stock portfolio and they go, I can't stand this, this roller coaster anymore. Then you're the person that comes to mind. So it's all about having that constant, consistent communication, just like you're doing with your investors. So hats off to you. Yeah. So great. Well, Dave, uh, how can people find out more about what you do and also, I know that you host some really uh, cool workshops and training events. So let people know how they can reach you and find out about you. Well, you know what? Thanks very much, Laura. The best thing is, if you guys are interested in this whole money partner formula idea that we've been talking about a little bit here today, best thing to do would be get a free copy of my book. Well, it's free. There is a, actually, there is a cost to it. It's going to cost you your name and your email address. I'm going to give you a PDF copy of my book. So if you'd like to find that, you can go to InvestorAttractionBook.com. InvestorAttractionBook.com. You give me your name and your email address. I'll give you the book, and then you'll be connected with me. You can reach out that way anytime you want. And, uh, yeah, we also have workshops on a regular basis where we spend a full eight hours diving in deep all about that. If you're interested in that, you can check out InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. Great. Well, that's a great information. And, uh, you know, it's like said, the best way to learn, uh, one of the things you said earlier, you know, I said, that, well, I'm not really seeing myself as a coach. You know, I, I kind of stumbled into the coaching arena, but I'm more of a marketer. And the thing is, the best ones to be coaches are the ones that actually we happen to go into coaching just by chance like me i started coaching because i wanted to find investors to buy my properties 
And so I said, well, let me train people, regular people to become investors so they can buy my properties. And then all of a sudden by doing that, people were asking me, how do you do this? How do you do that? So then I started coaching. So like you say, you know, you were really looking for a better way to do this and use your marketing abilities to go ahead and, you know, raise the private money and all of a sudden say, okay, there is something to it. Maybe I'll make this, this available on a wider level, but it's all about, you know, we stumbled into being a coach, but we were actually, we we're doing what we wanted to do for ourselves first. So well, it's, it's kind of interesting, Laura. Industry. Yeah. yeah I'm, still, I'm still not a coach. Basically what I, <laughs> what I am is I have a marketing agency. So I teach everybody exactly what to do and how to do it. And then I offer them the big red, easy, red, big red easy button. And that is hire us to get all the stuff set up for you and done for you. So you can focus on growing your portfolio. Uh, you can focus on managing your portfolio and you can focus on talking with investors. Those are the three biggest, highest income activities for real estate entrepreneurs. Outsource anything else you can. Right. And that's, that's the best way to do it because at some point you have to make a decision, right? Am I a real estate investor or I'm a real estate marketer? So, you know, like you said, you have the option to actually help people to market that to me, that's a no brainer. You know, <laughs> I mean, if I had to tap into private money at this point in my life, I would say, you know what you do it, you know, here, let me have you do it. I write a check. I'll be glad because then I can concentrate on what I do. Yeah, best. Then, then all you have to do, Instead of doing all the marketing stuff, all you have to do is have the meetings with investors, show them what you got and, and get the ball right. rolling. And you do offer that option as well, where you can help people. You can teach them about what to do themselves, but you can also help them in marketing as well, correct? You can exactly. take the heavy lifting for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't sell coaching. I don't sell mentoring. Uh, we, we give that in the workshop for a very low cost. And then what I, my business is, offering these done for you services. So it's, it's really like a marketing agency. Right. And that's the best way to go. Great. Thanks again. If you want to give you a website one more time uh, where they can find your ebook and also sign up for your workshops, go ahead. Perfect. So for the ebook, it's investorattractionbook.com. And for the workshop, it's investorattractionworkshop.com. Great. Thanks again, Dave, for spending this uh, moments of us. And I always like to bring people into the industry that have something different to present to the investors community. And I think what you're doing is amazing, especially with the done for you marketing strategy for raising private money. Because I know for myself, when I did it, I wish I would have had somebody like you instead of me doing everything <laughs> for the me, first me year. Too. Me too, yeah. Laura. I, wish I, had <laughs> I know, that. I know. It took a lot of my time. Great. Thanks again uh, for this today and uh, look for, and everybody look forward to another podcast very soon and uh, enjoy. Thanks.